Welcome, everyone, to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley, a national news and talk program dedicated to military veterans' issues. And now, your hosts, David Corey and Richard Hurley. Good evening. Welcome to the Veterans News Hour for Monday, January the 24th, 2022. This is Air Force veteran David Corey along with my co-host Richard Hurley. We have lots of news and information for veterans and their families this evening, so please stay tuned. Let's go over to Richard Hurley. Hello, Rick. How's it going? What's new? Good. Good, David. Hey, everything uh, is going well. Getting ready for a BVA hearing tomorrow. So we still cranking those BBA hearings out, you know, um, before we get into, well, let me just say, you know, to remind everybody, this is a call-in show and we really, uh, really try to urge people to call in and, and, and talk to us about their own VA situations or Board of Veteran Appeals situations or just, uh, <clears throat> your situation. Maybe you know a veteran who, who needs some help. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Our number is one triple eight six two seven six zero zero eight. Uh I know I'm on I'm not I'm on that Camp Lejeune water contamination site and I'd love to hear from some of those some of those Marines on that site. You guys are I think there's about eighteen thousand strong. Mike Partain has been a guest on our show. He's one of the administrators for that for that site. And always great information uh, uh on there with those veterans. Uh, and before I turn it back over to you, David, I just want to talk about two two things and get your input, David. The first thing is, uh, and this is some information for for people for veterans who are if, you, if you're about to appear at the Board of Veteran Appeals, uh, tell your representative. I'm sure they know this, but just remind their rep- your representative representative about the One Touch program. And uh, this is a program that enables the veteran law judge. To, 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 uh, to touch a case, that's why they call it the One Touch Program, to touch a case uh, once and make it more efficient, and uh, it, you, you base, the judge can basically, it's like put, <clears throat> passing a wand over your claim. He throws the wand, one touches it, and, and everything gets granted. Not, nothing has to go back to the VA except for the final paperwork. Uh, I know David and I, our, our practice has always been to submit a uh, legal memorandum together with attachments. And uh, I had a case this past Friday, and the uh, the judge and I talked, and I, I mentioned the one-touch program, and he agreed, and he said this is a perfect example of a case that belonged to the one-touch program. And uh, he said, Mr. Early, I'm not even going to wait for your brief to, to come in. I said, well, I'm going to fax it in about 15 minutes when we're done, Judge, because I won't see it for a few days, and I'm, I'm going to go ahead and, and one-touch this case, and, and the veteran's good to go. So that's a great thing. Of course, you have to have all your ducks in a row. Uh, not, not only do you have to be very prepared uh, for your case, but, you know, you really have to have all, all your ducks in a row, and, and it's so... Essentially, it's so obvious that only a fool would not grant the, the the veteran's claim. So you might say to yourself, "Well, why does it have to go to the? If it's so obvious, why do they have to go to the Board of Veteran Appeals 
and 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 end up, you know, having the judge do the one touch program? Good question. And uh, all I can say on that one is, veterans, you know what you deal with when you deal with the veteran, the VA. Uh, everything is about appealing, and you just have to, um, you know, what can I tell you? Uh, it's, it's so obvious to everybody else except the VA. Which leads me to one other item that I want to talk about, uh, and then I want to flip it over to David for his comments on these these topics here. Many times, veterans, you're going to get a decision, you're going to get a decision by the, the Board of Veteran Appeals that grants, I'm going to use PTSD as an example, and they, and they grant the, the judge grants the PTSD, service connection for PTSD, and remands the case back to the VA, uh, for a rating evaluation. Now you might have, and I'm, I'm actually thinking about a case that just came down today, one of my cases. You may have a, an expert opinion that says, you're you're totally occupationally and socially impaired, which would entitle you to 100% a 100% rating. So it gets sent back. The VA, of course, is supposed to review all that, and then they turn around and give you a 70% rating and a later effective date, rather than the earlier effective date. Uh, the, the case I'm kind of the case that I'm thinking about it just came down is that's that's what happened. The the, the medical expert said 100% on the PTSD. VA turned around and gave him 70% on the PTSD, but then used my expert, the date of my expert opinions report as the effective date, rather than going back to when the the claim was initially filed. None of that makes any sense. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it just gets back to what I've always said is it, it turns out so many times that it's about the money. The VA doesn't want to write the big check for a hundred percent that where the effective date should have gone back to the filing of the claim. Um, so those are just a couple of, um, things that I've run into recently. I wanted to share them with, with all of you. Uh, and what's the remedy? What's the remedy on, on that, that situation? You gotta go back to the Board of Veteran Appeals. And generally speaking, if not all the time, the Board of Veteran Appeals turns around, fix and corrects what the, what the VA did, um, and, and you get your 100% with an effective date going back to the filing of the claim. Uh, a lot of work, a lot of headache, but that's why I call this the prolonged process. And uh, anyway, David, that's a lot of talking by me. What do you think about both of those little things that I brought up? Well, thanks for highlighting that. Uh, it's great to hear that, that that Board of Veteran Appeals judge is actually going to, you know, jump in there and do the right thing and make an immediate decision. Um, I, I know you've had uh, just an endless number of cases, uh, particularly with the new virtual um, tele-hearings over the last couple of years, Rick. So I don't know, how, how often would you say the judges in those cases have, have jumped in there and just said, okay, I'm going to go ahead and grant your request? Would you, what, what sort of percentage would you say? It's, it, it's, it's very low. Um, and, you know, I'm not going to mention who this judge is, but this, this is a really, really good judge. I've known him for a couple of years now and we've always, uh, end up 
we, you know, usually before we even start the hearing, we, we have about a five or ten minute conversation. He loves history and I brought up some uh, history about my client's family. He was a fifth generation Marine and I posted that information on the, uh, uh, uh campus and Facebook page. But, um, uh, you know, he's just, this judge is just a great guy. Then, you know, and, and if, if we could have 113 like him, uh, boy, <laughs> we would be make we would, we'd be yeah. fixing a, a lot of these issues. Uh, but yeah. to answer your question, it's very rare. It's very rare. And most of the judges, quite frankly, most of the judges, uh, while, while at the end of the day, they, you know, they do do the, do the right thing and, and we, we pretty, we like the BVA and we think we get, you know, over 95% of the time, I think we get the correct decision. Uh, but there's still judges who don't necessarily think out of the box. They're a little skittish about jumping in and making these kinds of decisions. Uh, this judge was not. I mean, this judge just, uh, just could not wait to do something right for this veteran. It would be great, you know, cause we, you know, you get a lot of cases that I think warrant the one touch program. Um, but you know, you, for whatever reason, it's just not u- utilized as much as it, it probably should. Yeah. Well, I think it's, yeah. it's great that the judges will, if the issue is granting service connection of a disability, if the evidence is, is there, why don't they just go ahead and, and, uh, and make the decision. But then as you mo- noted before, Rick, sometimes there are collateral issues like, Okay, so the service connect the injury, but how severe is it? What rating is the judge willing to step out there and also make a decision on that? As well as the other issue, which you also alluded to, which is the effective date. You know, the judge might be willing to. Um, so I guess the point is, the lesson is for both veterans and advocates is if you have a judge that looks like they're um, going to go ahead during the hearing and express a decision. Um, if you have time and the judge is willing to, don't miss that opportunity to also um, point out evidence and see if you can lock the judge into uh, issue a rating. They may be less likely to do that, but at least the effective date. Because I had I had a judge uh, back last year who uh, it was a very complicated case. There there are multiple appeals going on for this veteran. Um, some under the old legacy system, some under the new Appeals Modernization Act system, and this judge couldn't wasn't going to hear both of them. And uh, this veteran had aid and attendance issues under both the old and the new system, and the judge went ahead and granted aid and attendance, um, but did not um, express an opinion uh, as far as because there's different levels of aid and attendance, and also did not express an opinion on the effective date. Fortunately, when it went back to the regional office to implement the grant of aid and attendance, they granted, and I had I had followed up with a memo because I, I I recognized that the judge did not address that issue. I went ahead and addressed in a follow up memo, and they granted the the earliest effective date, which which we were asking for, which was realistic. <clears throat> Uh, but that issue is still kicking around now on whether the veteran's entitled to a higher level of aid. So it's it's like one step at a time, you know. It's um, you take what you can get and then you keep uh, keep pressing on. Uh, but it's good that there are some judges at least 
I wish there were more. Uh, but then the other the other uh, thing to be prepared for, and the example of that uh, the case where I was just describing an attendance uh, grant, uh, it still took um, probably several months before uh, the written decision was issued. You know, the judge on the record had said he was going to go ahead and grant aid and attendance, but it still took the board several months to actually issue the decision. And the regional office, which has to implement it by issuing a rating decision and then calculating, you know, working with their finance office to calculate the retro payment, that still took months to get done. But at least, um, you know, the glass is half full, not half empty. So it's it's great progress that these judges are doing that. I think it's a great, great, uh, great concept. So yeah, those are my thoughts it, on that. You know, again, and um, it, you know, it's about being prepared. You know, what do you think about my, you know, like in order to do the one touch program, it basically it, it's so obvious that there's just no dispute. There's it it just the reasonable man standard, whatever you want to say, uh, warrants utilizing the, uh, the sort of like a direct, program. it would be sort of like a, a litigated case in civilian court, um, where it's like a directed verdict. Is that how you would describe yeah. it? Where, yeah, exactly. where you make a, mo- where you make a motion to the judge saying, judge, there's really not even, um, a, a reasonable issue here. Uh, and we ask that you direct the verdict in our favor. There's, you know, there's, there's nothing in dispute. And just uh, render a decision, but right. why, why, why couldn't the VA make that decision? You know, I mean, well, it's, that it's, obvious, it's, you know, that's, yeah. that's the thing that's so frustrating. Uh, and and in this case, this case is a five-year-old case. This case started in 2017. Um, so, and this judge in, and the hearing didn't last long. Usually, I'd say my average hearing is about 75 minutes. This hearing went 25 minutes. In the first 10 minutes, we were talking some history about this uh, my, my client's family heritage, and he's a fifth-generation Marine, and the fact that his great-great-grandfather fought at Gettysburg and and all that stuff. You know, I've, and I filled you in on that one. But so we were talking about that. That took up 10 minutes of the 25 minutes. So in so in 15 minutes, this judge did what. <laughs> what it took five years to do. Yeah. That's sad. That's sad. Yeah. Yeah, sure is. Mm-hmm. Well, you um, got some news for us? Well, I have some news, but just before that, I wanted to, um, uh, to mention something that, that caught the news, uh, partly beyond veteran issues, but I wanted to note it, which was the passing this past Friday of comedian Louis Anderson. Uh, Louis is, uh, Comic, he, he he passed away uh, from uh, the effects of uh, cancer. I think he was just uh, um, 68 years old. Um, but um, I have one of the books he uh, he wrote, and uh, Louis was from a family of 11 children. He was the tenth of 11 children, and uh, his father was a World War One veteran. I, this is how I kind of want to kind of tie it into our veterans show here tonight. Louis was the tenth of eleven children, and uh, and in fact, his mother 
um, had lost uh, five other children, two sets of twins and another uh, through miscarriage. So very large family. He was the, the second to the youngest. And uh, so his um, his father, who was a World War II veteran, was uh, was in his 50s when Louis was born and was a severe alcoholic by Louis Anderson's own description. In fact, he, he, he often incorporated his family dysfunction into his comedy. Um, his father was very abusive and a severe alcoholic who eventually later in life um, stopped drinking but uh you know his personality didn't entirely uh cure with it um but in one of Louis's books that I have it's called Hey Mom it's a series of stories that he wrote for uh for his mother um <clears throat> and in one of the chapters he talked about how whenever he was doing a show in Las Vegas he'd come up with an idea that they would broadcast the show live to the local VA hospital there in Las Vegas and it was it was a, instead of being piped in through the loudspeakers which obviously was, it, that wasn't going to work very well at the VA hospital they arranged it so the veterans could all listen in through headphones so he described the situation where you just have a lot of people a lot of patients in there that are laughing for no apparent reason because you don't hear you don't hear what they're laughing about they're just laughing to 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 his comedy that that's being piped in through their individual uh, headsets, so he he told that story. He got the idea from uh, from something that he had um, heard about previously, which was uh, something called the silent dancing, where people are 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 at a dance and they're all wearing headphones, so you can't hear the music they're dancing to, but they're all listening to the same music through their headphones. So he thought, why not do the same thing and help help out these veterans? Because he said his dad was always mentioning um you know his his army service and anytime louis or his uh his brothers or sisters would would complain about something he would always come back and say well you've had you know you haven't had any trouble unless you've been shot up by a sniper in france you know you know and uh in any event uh so uh want to mark the passing of louis anderson who died uh this past uh friday january 21st. Say, he was a young guy he was 68 68, yeah, he would have been 69, in a few, I think, in March. But the other person I want to mark the passing of uh, was uh, not because it's related to veteran issues, but just he's a well-known um, uh, entertainer, was uh, Michael Aday, known professionally as Meatloaf, who was a rock star, uh, who became famous um, in the 1970s. And uh, I also want to, uh, to to make a note for all the the radio listeners out there, uh, go and listen to, uh, John Barber's, uh, show, Talking Movies, which is on, uh, bbsradio.com on, uh, Doug, correct me if I'm wrong, I think Saturday nights, 9 Central. But go back and listen because, because John Barber interviewed, uh, Meatloaf, uh, this past November 20th. And it's a video, it's not just an audio interview, it's a video interview. So it was just, you know, you know, three months or so before, before he passed away. It's a fascinating interview because, uh, he also talked about, uh, growing up in Dallas and as a teenager, um, he had kind of a Forrest Gump moment where, um, he was in uh, Dallas on November 22nd, 1963 
and he and some of his high school buddies uh, were there, and they uh, they saw JFK and Jackie Kennedy at the airport. And uh, when after they heard about the assassination, they went to Parkland Hospital, where they where they uh, they arrived about the same time uh, that uh, that the limousine presidential limousine. Anyway, fascinating interview. Just wanted to mention that he passed away. Uh, Michael a day uh, meatloaf, you know, professionally as meatloaf. He passed away on January the twentieth. So um, they're just two of a number of uh, of uh, famous entertainers that have passed away um, in the last uh, less than four weeks. Uh, in yeah, if you event. go on uh, CBS Sunday morning, it comes out at nine o'clock. Nine o'clock, nine ten thirty, and it's a great, great show with uh, news, and uh, but it also focuses on the arts. And then <clears throat> during the show, we'll also talk about passing of, and they, they kind of focus on the the arts passing of, of our artists. And, uh, <clears throat> it's amazing when they just start putting a list up. And how often that list, how often they're able to put that list up and, and the number of people that are passing that, not to get depressing. <laughs> yeah, well, there, there have been, there have been a lot, been, uh, a lot of those, a lot of those people were people that you and I, David, you know, uh, grew up with and, and had an impact in our life and when it came to the arts and watching, you know, seeing them pass. No, what's interesting is, um, just like in the last three weeks or so, uh, a lot of, uh, famous entertainers, Probably close to a dozen, if you check the list, they're out there on the internet. But uh, one of them that, that passed away uh, just a couple weeks ago was uh, comedian Bob Saget. And yeah. uh, there's an inter- there's an interview. Bob Saget had his own um, video podcast where he would interview people. And last year, uh, less than a year ago, he had an episode where he interviewed Louis Anderson. They were good friends going back decades. So it's sort of sort of sad and ironic that uh you know they're both they're both captured in the same Bob and Saget's interviewing Louie Anderson and then uh you know seven months or so later they're both uh they're both gone. But anyway, Louie Anderson um grew up in a terribly dysfunctional, alcoholic affected uh family, but he turned it into uh comedy. And uh uh it's it's just it's just remarkable and uh so uh, just wanted to uh, note note their passings and and mention the veteran story that uh, that Louis tells in his book. Uh, all right, let's go to some news. Um, here's some big news that will affect thousands of veterans who served in um, Southwest Asia, uh, Iraq, Afghanistan, Saudi Arabia, all those other countries in that area they call Southwest Asia. Uh, that suffer from certain respiratory conditions, specifically asthma, rhinitis, and sinusitis. Uh, Since this past August 2021, the VA has been processing disability claims on a presumptive basis, which means that veterans that served in those areas, Southwest Asia, uh, if they are diagnosed with one or all or more than one of these three conditions, asthma, rhinitis, and sinusitis, if the condition manifests within 10 years of their military service, the VA will presume that service connected, which is a big hurdle. We're always talking about service connection. 
And then, of course, they have to rate how severe it is because these disabilities <laughs> excuse me, can range from rather mild to rather severe. And and it's the it's the numerical rating zero ten thirty fifty whatever that translates into the disability compensation. So the VA made this decision after part of an internal VA review process uh, based on recommendations uh, and evaluations of of uh, experts from the National Academies of Science, Engineering, and Medicine and other evidence and. Uh, they made these decisions. Secretary of the VA, Dennis McDonough, basically suggested uh, that he thought this was the right decision and the VA will continue using, as he called it, a holistic approach in determining toxic exposure presumptives moving forward. Now, um, on a side note, I hope that they move forward a lot faster than, than they do on most issues and they don't just study these to death. And if the VA doesn't act, I think Congress, as we've talked about on previous shows, Congress needs to step up and do its job, hold hearings, and then pass laws rather than just waiting for the VA. Because we know the VA, you know, if, if left to their own devices, can study things to death. So that's uh, the first item of news I wanted to highlight because uh, this will affect thousands of, uh, of veterans. Uh, Rick, I know you have some news. Sort of related. Yeah, regarding the, yeah, it is relating to it. The National Veterans Law Legal Services Program the nvlsp.org. Um, by the way, David and I rave about this this uh, group, and, and really, you're, if if you have any interest, the slightest bit of interest in in reading some things that are going on with this organization, do it. Nvl nvlsp.org. It wants veterans and their families to know that it has a new dedicated burn pits claim assistance program, burn pits cap. This program marks a major expansion of the free legal representation that NVLSP has provided to veterans and their survivors over the last 40 years. The burn pits cap will assist veterans exposed to toxic emissions from burn pits while serving overseas by representing them on claims for disability benefits before the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs. Open burn pits located near military bases were commonly used by the U.S. military departments in Southwest Asia to dispose of assorted waste and other matter. You can only imagine what that other matter was. <coughs> the Department of Defense and the VA agree that the smoke and fumes emitted from these burn pits contain numerous toxic chemicals. Over 240,000 veterans and service members have documented their exposure in the VA's airborne hazards and open burn pit registry. Despite its recognition that burn pits located on numerous military bases emitted toxic chemicals, the VA has thus far denied over 75% of the disability claims based on burn pit exposure. The Burn Pit Claims Assistance Program, program is a natural extension of NVLSP's legal expertise and tenacity in fighting for veterans and their families to ensure they receive the life-changing benefits they need and deserve, said NVLSP Executive Director Paul Wright. NVLSP has a solid record of defending the rights of veterans with chronic illnesses due to their exposure during military service to toxic chemicals. The most significant example is Nehmer versus United States Department of Veteran Affairs, a class action lawsuit brought on behalf of all vet Vietnam vets and their survivors who had been or would be denied VA benefits for conditions associated with exposure to Agent Orange. In this historic case, 
the federal court invalidated the VA Agent Orange compensation rule and and approved a consent decree requiring VA to pay retroactive disability and death benefits. As a result of the consent decree and four successful motions for enforcement, VA has been forced to pay over $4.6 billion in VA compensation benefits to Vietnam veterans and their survivors. NDLSP's work on behalf of the Vietnam veterans exposed to Agent Orange underscores the organization's ability to tackle the burn pits issue, often cited as the Agent Orange equivalent for post-9-11 veterans. To learn more about the NVLSP burn pit claims assisting program, go to the website nvlsp.org. NVLSP is also a steadfast advocate for legislation that would grant presumptive coverage for veterans with burn pits exposure. You know, one of the things that, one of the cases I had in this area and, and I was successful and won the case. Uh, was a, a young, a young woman. Uh, she was in, in, in Iraq or Afghanistan. I forget offhand, but she was on a base and, and they didn't have plumbing as we all know it. And they used to use these, these big drums, like uh, oil drums. Uh, anyway, <clears throat> so that, that was the latrine. And since she was the low person on the totem pole, her job was to stir uh, the latrine uh, and to liquefy it. And uh, when she was testifying in front of the judge, I made sure that we really, we got pretty graphic about what she was doing. The judge couldn't believe it. I don't think he's ever heard a story like this. And then once it's liquefied, you then uh, put a match on it, put your gasoline and put a match on it. And so you'd have all of these these drums uh, being stirred, liquefied, and then uh, doused with fire until it was burned down to a very small amount. And she was describing how it was very common to have 10, 15, or 20 of these drums uh, all on fire at the same time. And she was saying how the, the odor, uh, was just horrific. And, um, the big black smoke and, and the odor and it, and it just, you, you, you couldn't get away from it. And if the wind was blowing, especially, but I mean, it wasn't like something they could put over in the corner of, in the desert somewhere. No, I was sat there right on the base. And, this is in uh, Iraq, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. And, um, you know, it just, you know, when, when you hear in those graphic terms, uh, it, you know, and then, you know, with the, 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 with the medical conditions that she has from it, in, in addition to the mental conditions, um, it, you know, you just, you can't even imagine having to put yourself through something like this. And, uh, so, you know, if anybody's out there listening to this, to get, just to give you an idea about these burn pits. And, and some of them were bigger than that, you know, and, and David, you've, you've talked about that the one documentary out there, which, uh, you might as well talk, you know, give that a plug again, because, um, it's a real problem. It's a real problem. And, you know, we should all contact our congressmen and senators and urge them to, to do the right thing. 
uh, with regards to the burn pits. Because like you said, David, it's, um, you know, it's the Agent Orange issue for these, these young men and women. It's the Camp Lejeune issue for these young men and women. And there doesn't seem to be as much movement that as uh, we'd like to see. All right. Back to you. Yep. All right. Thanks, Rick. Uh, this next uh, item of news, uh, this will affect um, literally thousands and thousands of solar soldiers, sailors, and Marines, and it has to do with the issue of um, their administrative discharge characterizations and the effect uh, particularly on loss of VA benefits. But before I get to the news, I want to remind our listeners that uh, this is a call-in show. If you want to grab a pen and paper, I'll give you our toll-free nationwide number. If you want to call in, we'd welcome hearing your comments, your questions, your thoughts on these or other veteran issues. Our toll-free nationwide call-in number is 1-888-627-6008. Again, that's 1-888-627-6008. Once again, the toll-free nationwide call-in number, 1-888-627-6008. So call in. I want to talk about uh, two class action lawsuits, one uh, that has been settled uh, between some veteran groups and uh, the military, and the other one is very close to being settled. Uh, the first one is one we've talked about on the show before, but it's definitely worth repeating. It's the lawsuit of uh, Kennedy versus McCarthy. And you can find information on the website, kennedysettlement.com. That's kennedysettlement.com. Um, it stems from a lawsuit that was filed that alleged uh, that since the start of the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan, the Army, over the decades, had discharged thousands of soldiers with negative service characterizations, specifically the worst administrative discharge, which is other than honorable, or OTH. I served in the Air Force, and we would call those by the full title, which was under other than honorable conditions. Or the next higher uh, characterization, which is called general, and then parentheses under honorable conditions, both of which are below the ideal, which is an honorable discharge, just a regular honorable characterization. Uh, And the lawsuit basically alleged that the Army had discharged thousands of soldiers with these negative characterizations, either either an other than honorable or a general uh, characterization, uh, due to alleged misconduct, which the soldiers believed were correctly or should have been correctly attributed to the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, traumatic brain injury, uh, military sexual trauma, or other behavioral health conditions. And the lawsuit alleged that the veterans who had experienced these disabilities had been systematically denied discharge upgrades by the Army Discharge Review Board. Now, the Army, as the government often does. Uh, They denied the allegations, but they also agreed to settle the lawsuit. And as part of the settlement, this is a class action, which will affect literally thousands of of soldiers. The court approved uh, the certification of the class of soldiers, which included um, members of the 
and former members of the Army, the Army Reserve, and the Army National Guard who served in the Iraq and Afghanistan era, basically uh, between October 7, 2001, up until uh, April 26, 2021, which was the effective date of the settlement. And it applied to those veterans who had been discharged with a less than honorable service characterization, which include both a general discharge as well as an under other than honorable discharge. Um, but it did not include those that had been discharged with what's known as a punitive discharge, a bad conduct discharge or a dishonorable discharge, or if they're an officer, a dismissal. Um, quick summary of military uh, personnel law and the Uniform Code of Military Justice. Uh, the service can administratively kick someone out. It's like the equivalent of when a business fires an employee. They can administratively kick them out, but the difference is they also add, as part of the, the, the discharge process, a characterization of their service. And if it's administrative discharge, then the highest is an honorable, the next is a general, parentheses under honorable conditions, and then the worst is an under other than honorable conditions. Those are the three administrative discharges. On the court-martial side, under the Uniform Code of Military Justice, if a soldier uh, committed misconduct that was a subject of uh, criminal charges and a court-martial, and they received either a bad conduct discharge or a dishonorable discharge, if they were enlisted, that would be a punitive discharge, not covered by this class action lawsuit. Uh, so this class action lawsuit applied only to administrative discharges which the soldier had received either a general and other and honorable conditions, and they had um, sought to receive discharge upgrade to an honorable and um, been denied, and they had a diagnosis of either post-traumatic stress or post-traumatic stress-related conditions, um, such as what I mentioned uh, before, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, or other uh, behavioral health conditions. So... What was the solution? What was the approval that the court um, granted in this April 2021 settlement? You can find the details on that uh, website uh, that I just mentioned, which is kennedysettlement.com. You can also find the, the full text on the Army Discharge Review Board website. You can just Google that because the, the, the link for that you know, as you would expect from a government agency, is about 2,000 letters long. I'm not going to try to read it here, but you can find it under the much shorter and easier to remember website, which is kennedysettlement.com. That's the joint settlement agreement. And the remedy basically is this, <clears throat> that those soldiers affected by this that fall into that class, <clears throat> if, uh, if they had uh, previously been, um, been denied uh, or the, their case had been decided between uh, 2011 and and, uh, and uh, April 2021, then the Discharge Review Board says that they will automatically reconsider those cases. They will automatically, in other words, it requires the Army to go through their records and identify those. those. Now, what about the soldiers who served between 2001 and 2011, that earlier 10-year window? They still get a second opportunity, but it's not an automatic one. In other words, they have to reapply, all right? But according to the settlement, 
the Army is required to send notice uh, to both of these groups. Okay, they're going to send notice to the to the first group that, that had their cases denied between 2011 and 2021. Uh, that they will be automatically reconsidered. That they're invited to submit new evidence within 60 days of that notice and also provide referral information for potential free representation and free medical services. <clears throat> but it raises an interesting question, Rick, that uh, I'm sure that, you know, you, you, you can see this problem arising as I describe this. We have soldiers that were discharged between 2001 and 2021. Um, almost, it was about a 19-and-a-half-year period of time. Do you think the Army has current records for where these folks live now? I seriously doubt it. How would they have kept track of them, you know, unless they happen to have been discharged, let's say, in the last year or two? So that's an immediate problem, and that's all the more reason why I hope our listeners, if they know of people, if they know of other veteran groups, spread the word. Because even though the Army is supposed to send notice to all these soldiers, literally thousands, tens of thousands of soldiers, uh, of their rights under this settlement, um, if the Army doesn't have a current address for them, and it's very unlikely that they will if they've been separated for, for, uh, for you know, more than a, a few years, uh, that they really have to be proactive, and they have to hear about it. They have to know. So help help us help these uh, soldiers. Think, think about all that. Think about all the think about all the homeless veterans. But yeah, not not even the homeless ones though. The majority are probably not going to be homeless, but they will have moved. Um, you know, I have a, a, a veteran I'm helping that I'm representing right now, uh, who was uh, discharged in 2009, who falls into uh, this this uh, automatic reconsideration class because his case had been had been denied in that in that second window of time. But you know, in the last 12 years, he's moved probably a half a dozen times at least all over the country, you know, and mail forwarding doesn't last more than usually a year, okay? So uh, unless the Army really took it upon themselves to, uh, you know, to play Columbo and try to track down these folks, which I seriously doubt they're going to, I, you know, the, the Army, uh, if you think the VA is bureaucratic and, and inept on some of these uh, these 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 kinds of things, uh, <clears throat> the army is much worse. Now, um, I want to highlight you might you might have served in the navy and the marines. In which case, what I just told you about uh, the army settlement isn't going to apply to you. But there is a similar case that's currently underway. A settlement very similar to what I just suggested for the army has been proposed, and it's they had a hearing in December, and I think they're just waiting for the judge to approve it. And that's under a, uh, a, uh, a different class action. You can find more information about this, uh, from, um, the website, uh, it's the Yale Law School Veterans Legal Services Clinic, but there's a class action lawsuit website. Uh, it was, the class was led by a veteran named Tyson, uh, Manker and the National Veterans Council for, for Legal Redress, NVCRL. I'm sorry, C, yes, CLR, I'm sorry. And they filed a class action in 2018, which is now just finally getting resolved. The class action website is uh, mankersettlement.com. That's spelled M-A-N-K, 
K-E-R, settlement.com. And this applies to those that served in the Navy and the Marine Corps, again, who received less than honorable discharge, who were separated during the Iraq-Afghanistan war era, and whose discharges were potentially uh, uh, concerning alleged misconduct that arose because of PTSD or other mental health conditions. Um, if if they have questions um, about that, they can contact the Yale Law School Clinic. Uh, their email address, which I'll give you if you want to write down, is uh, ptsd.classaction at yale.edu. Again, the email address is ptsd.classaction.yale.edu. Now, the Department of the Navy, which owns both the Navy and the Marine Corps, uh, they've agreed to review discharges of thousands of veterans, again, affected by post-traumatic stress, traumatic brain injury, military sexual trauma, and other behavioral or mental health conditions. And uh, uh, the, the, the proposed settlement terms are very similar to the one that we saw with, uh, with, with the Army that they'll automatically review some and then give reapplication rights uh, to other veterans. Again, if you um, uh, have questions about this, feel free to contact directly the Yale Veterans Legal Services Clinic. Uh, and, again, their email address um, is ptsd.classaction at yale.edu or... The other email address is manker.settlement, that's M-A-N-K-E-R dot settlement at yale.edu. Their phone number is area code 203-364-4588. Again, the Yale Veterans Legal Services Clinic phone number for this class action case is area code 203-364-4588. So those are, those are really big issues because it affects tens of thousands of uh, veterans who were discharged over the last 20 years, suffering from PTSD, military sexual trauma, traumatic brain injury, or other psychological conditions uh, that may have really been the, the root causes of the alleged misconduct uh, that, that resulted in their in their discharge. So um, help us spread the word. Okay, Rick, go over to you. I know we've just got uh, about nine minutes left. Yeah, no, I was just, I was, you know, reflecting on what you were saying, and I can't, you know, sometimes I can be very cynical, and I can't help but think that uh, it's a wonderful decision, and it's a great thought, but implementing it uh, to benefit our veterans uh, could be very difficult, which means it could not really be something that could cost the department uh, a lot, so... Well, well the um, other thing I want to add is when I, when the settlement requires that the military um, reconsider, and for, for some groups of veterans it has to be an automatic reconsideration, and for the other group the veterans actually have to reapply, uh, I want to emphasize the settlement does not say that the veterans are going to win, that they're going to have a successful outcome. It just gives them another opportunity to be heard on the issue it does add that um, uh, that they will be given that within a year and a half of the April settlement for the Army, 
the year and a half, which would run out maybe the fall of this year, that the Army has to come up with a way, you know, to uh, arrange telephonic hearings rather than make these veterans travel to Washington, D.C. or to some other regional place. But again, um, I, I am very cynical about <clears throat> about all the services, their discharge review boards and their board for corrections military records. Because, again, if you think the VA is is tough and a tough audience and unsympathetic, you ain't seen nothing until you see these, these, these service uh, boards. Because uh, their rate of denial, you know, I've read different statistics, so it's hard to know which statistics are current or accurate. But statistics, you know, in the neighborhood of 85 to 90 percent denials, uh, which gives you an idea... Uh, you know, it's an uphill battle. And uh, unlike the, the, the rules of law, the burden of proof isn't the same one we find in the VA. In the VA world, by statute and regulations, the burden of proof on the veteran is to prove what they're trying to prove to a, a certainty of 50% or greater. Paraphrased as, is it as likely as not or greater? Okay, but... In the BCMR world, they start with a very firm presumption of regularity. They presume that what the command already did, as far as the discharge, as far as the discharge characterization, they start with a strong presumption that that was correct. And although their burden of proof, it doesn't require proof beyond a reasonable doubt, when you read their decisions, um, it's almost as if they're applying such a high standard. It's It's very... It, it's, uh, it becomes very unclear when you read their decisions sometimes exactly what standard of proof they're applying, but it's a pretty heavy one. And what makes it even more frustrating for veterans and their advocates is that all these boards for all the services are horribly um, deficient in explaining their decisions. They'll issue, you could submit 100 pages of documentation, and uh, they may list you know, that, that they receive them, but they'll offer often very, very little, maybe a couple sentences of an analysis, which is insulting, you know. So I, I am going to be cynical about these things, and it just requires, fortunately, on the positive side, you know, the glass is half full, not half empty, is that you have these class action lawsuits. You have organizations like the Yale Veterans Legal Services Clinic, the National Veterans Legal Services Program, um, and these these other veteran groups we've had on our show before, um, like Swords to Plowshares um, and, and uh, Military Veteran Advocacy, and all these other groups that um, that are, are aggressive with class action lawsuits because that's what it takes. You know, you can't you can't hope to make a dent on on an individual basis. I mean, you can represent a veteran and maybe have a successful outcome in one case, but the system is really weighted against you, um, you know. So, all right, uh, that's, I'll get off my uh, soapbox here. No, well, that's fine. Good job. Go Good job. We're getting Go ahead, close right. here. Uh, no, I guess no, we're ready no. for the coaching and the care. Yep. Uh, this program, uh, we, we we like to hide it, highlight this every week because we feel it's very important to do that. Um it, this program helps veterans having difficulty difficulty transitioning to home life, and that's a huge issue. Uh, and that's that's why we do 
one of the reasons we do this show is to to highlight the situations uh, affecting veterans trying to transition to home life and all the benefits that are out there for them. And this is just another one. Returning home can be a tough adjustment, and loved ones can help. Coaching in the Care offers free coaching to help you help your veteran. You can call that program at one 823 It operates Monday through Friday, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. Again, the Coaching in the Care number is one 823 addition, I'd like to once again remind listeners that if you know a veteran who is suicidal or in a crisis of any kind, the U.S. Department of Veteran Affairs also has a veteran crisis line. That number is 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Many veterans have committed suicide because they did not get the help they needed. Help them get the care they need to cope with their problems. Once again, the Veterans Crisis Line can help. That number is write this down, 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Put it on your refrigerator. Again, 1-800-273-8255 and press 1. Back to you. Thanks, Rick. Um, I hope uh, our listeners have, in, have enjoyed the show, and as I say, help us spread the word on these on these uh, issues, uh, particularly uh, affecting veterans that were uh, administratively discharged with, with a negative discharge characterization. Um, they can uh, find out more from the websites that I gave out, which is kennedysettlement.com, kennedysettlement.com for the uh, – uh, for the Army class action lawsuit and for the Navy and the Marine Corps, it's uh, it's mankersettlement.com, which is M-A-N-K-E-R settlement.com. And uh, help us spread the word uh, on that. And last thing before we go, want to also mention um, an excellent uh, project by our friends at militaryveteransadvocacy.org, their Bill of the Week program. Go to their website, militaryveteransadvocacy.org. Click on Bill of the Week. Uh, and you can find out what legislation has been proposed that affects veterans and those in the military. You can follow the links they provide to send messages to your representative and the U.S. House of Representatives and your two U.S. Senators. So with that, it's time to wrap up. Uh, I'd like to thank all of you for listening to the Veterans News Hour here on bbsradio.com station one. We would like to thank our producer at BBS Radio, Mr. Doug Newsom. And we hope uh, that you'll tune in uh, next week, same time and station, 7 p.m. Eastern, 6 Central, 5 Mountain, and 4 p.m. Pacific time here on bbsradio.com station one. Until then, uh, stay safe, stay healthy. Hope you have a great week. Take care. Thank you for listening to the Veterans News Hour with David Corey and Richard Hurley. We hope you found this week's program very informative. Be sure to invite your friends and all the veterans you know to tune in next week when we'll have another great show on veterans issues. Meanwhile, you can listen to our other recorded episodes on the Veterans News Hour webpage on bbsradio.com. Thanks again for listening to the Veterans News Hour.